Hey everyone, welcome to Buzzing About Romance. I am Becky, and I am so excited that on this episode of Buzzing About Romance, we are sitting down and talking with literary agent Stephanie Phillips from SBR Media. Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Becky. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, before we hopped on here for this recording, we talked about what inspired this episode and really our community of listeners are just intrigued by some of the interworkings of publishing so we are here to deliver um i'm going to tell everybody a little bit about what sbr media is and then your bio and then we'll get into some basics um so sbr media is a literary agency for all genres um and stephanie phillips was is a born and bred Southern girl. After graduating from High Point University, she'd gone from different careers, including modeling, Mary Kay, publicist, blogger, radio show host, and then found her footing as an agent. With over 30 clients and even even several deals in her first year with SBR Media, she looks forward to seeing what else she and her clients can accomplish. And when not agenting, hosting, blogging, or reading, she spends time with her husband and two adorable kids in their Myrtle Beach home. Again, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> As you're reading that, I'm like, oh gosh, I need to update my bio. <laughs> um, I just stole it off your website, but I will link all of your um, socials and stuff like that in our on the shelf show notes so everybody can find your blog and stuff. Um, so let's get to know a little bit about you, Stephanie, before we get into the nitty gritty okay. <laughs> of being an agent. Um, so are you a lifelong reader or is reading something that you came into as an adult? <laughs> yes, I am a lifelong reader. Um, and that's almost literally lifelong. Um, I started reading at the age of two, like not like books, obviously book books, but like I could point out words and you know, like on pages and then I was reading book books by the time I was in kindergarten and um so much my teacher had to put me and another girl in my kindergarten class well it happened for the first three years for kindergarten first second grade <laughs> I had to sit in the hallway during reading time because we were reading like well above everybody else <laughs> yeah. yeah and in our grades because we just fell in love with reading beforehand but my mom it I get it kind of honest I guess she's a reader but she's also she was she's retired now but was an elementary school teacher so I guess she kind of really fostered that <laughs> no it's the same my mother was a teacher also early reader lifelong reader like I can remember growing up and we would be headed out somewhere like even if it was just to dinner or to run errands you were told to grab a book <laughs> and I was one of four children. And if we, whoever was going, you were told grab a book and get in the car. <laughs> so we never went anywhere without books. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. I think that's the only way my mom could actually really p- find something to punish me with was to make me do something without reading, you know, because I was always in a book, even now, like if I'm in really intrigued and, you know, like, invested in the story that I'm reading I'll be re- my husband's driving wherever and I'm like reading and they'll just talk to me in the car and I just look at them like what is wrong with you do you not see him <laughs> <laughs> nope I'm the same and I actually it's really cool because I have a child she's a huge reader and 
I have had to at times threaten to take her books away so that she will do what she is supposed to be doing. Yeah. Isn't that terrible? I mean, it's not terrible, but it's terrible because <laughs> like, listen, I really need you that, to do but... your chemistry or your calculus. So give me that book. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Just put on pause for like 30 minutes and then you can have it back. But I yeah, get it. And so you know, you hear all the time, like, how do you read so many books? How do you read so many books? I don't watch TV. Yeah, I don't either. And that's a detriment to my career. <laughs> I mean, it's really bad because people will say, well, what does it compare to? I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but I have a we have several, a few clients that are right now in the process of books to film. And, and the producers are like, well, what kind of shows do you think this compares to? What kind of writers should we be? And I'm like, that's your job. I don't know. <laughs> you know, like I don't watch TV. I have no idea. Like, I don't, I, I have no idea what movie was the last one I saw in theater. It had to have been something with my kids. Oh, the Adams Family, the newest Adams Family movie. Not the Wednesday, the show, but yeah. the newest Adams. So that was probably like three or four years ago, maybe more than that. I haven't I been even... to the movie since before the pandemic. So since just, before yeah. 2020. So me yes, either. I totally get I, it. I just am not, just give me my Kindle and I'll be fine. Yes, same, <laughs> same. Um, so do you have a favorite subgenre or favorite genre that you like to read within? I read mostly, Paranormal Romance is my favorite. Um, and then uh, to right behind that, like snuggled up to it is... Um, a uh, fantasy romance, urban fantasy, um, but I like suspense, mystery, thriller. I'm not a I'm not a historical romance reader. I read those when I was in middle school. I have my feel of historical romance, and then uh, my daughter is actually named by uh, after a historical romance character, and then um, who is she named after? I have to know. Uh. Her name, so the book is called Midsummer's Eve by Philippa Carr. Okay. And my daughter's name is Anora. But I spell it the Hebrew version instead of the English version. Okay. Which I, just means that add an H at the end. <laughs> I didn't, so I don't read much historical anymore either. And like you, I started reading historical in middle school, probably mm -hmm. way younger than I needed to. Like, you know, 1990, I'm picking up my first Jude Devereaux. Um and my my mother had a connection to Jude. They went to college together in sorority sisters. So that's she was always giving my mom books. And I I went through a stage where all I read was historical. And then we talked about it a little bit before, but kind of Fifty Shades of Grey. And I was limited to what for seven years I couldn't afford to buy a book. So I was limited to what was in my library. And so I slowly made the change over to contemporary. And um, now I have a hard time flipping back to uh, to historical. I, you know, it, it doesn't always work. I get a little too caught up in the um, bathing <laughs> hygiene. It's, yeah, I, it's, yeah. It's really, really hard. And you know what? I this is bad too. Like I um 
I don't know if you've ever heard of Vanessa Vale. She writes a lot of Minaj. Yes. And she, I picked up um, one of her series. Just maybe the book was free, the first one or something, or maybe it was on sale. I don't know. But anyway, I was reading the thing. I started reading it. I had no freaking clue. It was a historical romance until I got like 10 pages into the book. And I'm like, dag nabbit. <laughs> I we do we did a happy hour with Vanessa she is like a delightful human um she has a new small town series that she has in Montana uh it's called man uh manhunt was the first book super uh-huh. steamy super sexy instant love which I'm a fool for instant love I highly recommend that series um so tell us how did you become a literary agent because it's not every day that people like say hey I want to grow up and be a literary agent I'm gonna buy books <laughs> Yes, exactly. Well, um, I was telling Becky before the show started that this is kind of something that I really like fell into. It was not something that I ever planned or even thought about doing, like never in a million years. So I um, started a review blog about 10 years ago and then about eight years ago, so I guess two years after I opened my blog, I was approached by a publishing house out of Seattle, Washington, um, asking me if I wanted to come to work for them. And so I was like, yeah, sure. You know what? I, I mean, working with books where I living out, heck yeah. And I didn't have to move to Seattle. I could remote work. So that was even better. And, um, then about nine months into that job, <laughs> they decided they were going to close. And a couple of my authors came to me and was like, you're already doing the work for the most part. Why don't you just come? Why don't you be our agent? So... I guess they say the rest is history. I did some research on what it took to be an agent. And really I was doing pretty much everything an agent does at that time, except for I wasn't soliciting other publishing houses because I was already at a publisher. Right. And so um, I didn't, I knew I didn't really want to do publicity. I mean, I had tried my hat at that a little bit with my blog, hosting blog tours and doing those kind of things. And I just, felt like that was not my calling. And so when that, when the opportunity became, came up to um, open SBR Media or to start this company, I talked to several of my friends and I was like, what do you think? That are also authors who are also on my client list, by the way, but they, they, uh, I'm like, what do you think about this? Do you think it's doable? Would you be my client if I even started the company? You know, and they were like, course hello you know like that was not a no-brainer um but the funny thing is is that they don't they haven't written since i opened the business so i guess <laughs> catch 22 on that one but it's it's a lot i mean i love it it is so much fun it's very rewarding in that you help authors achieve their dreams but you don't have like i am not an i am not an editorial agent so i don't there are a lot of them that, that are out there, you know, that will edit their author's books before they send them out on submission and stuff. That is not my forte. I, I, that's not me. And um, I can help with development. Like if you need character development, finding plot holes or that kind of thing, I'm your girl. But don't ask me about the difference between a regular comma and an awkward comma. I have no freaking clue. And I, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't never learn it because it's just not my yeah. stick. You know, it's not my thing. Everybody has their their spot right and that but anyway it's just I have um 
and like we were talking about with the bio, I have 57 clients actually, and I represent two publishing houses in addition to those clients. We have eight other agents besides me, or I have eight other agents besides me in the company. And we, we top over 200 authors that we represent now. Yeah. I looked through your list of authors and there are several. Um, one of the ones that stood out to me was Bella J. I recently just found her. We call everybody in the podcast community is calling it my dark era. I've been a little deep in the <laughs> mafia um, world and I just read her. It's Alexius is her. It's a trilogy. It was delightful. It was a little bonkers. It was super sexy. And I kept talking about it and our community kept reading it. And they're like, what are we reading? I'm like, listen, just keep reading. And I rage read it a little bit because I didn't know it was a trilogy when I started. <laughs> anyway, but you have a phenomenal list of clients and it's a diverse list too, um, which I think is amazing that you have like, you know, some rom-com type authors. I saw you had like, uh, S.E. Rose was on your list. And so she writes a little bit more steamy, emotional romances. So it's great. You have like a huge variety. Yes. Right. We have Jen Starling. I don't know if you've ever read Jen, but yep. she, um, baseball. Yes. That's her big claim to fame is her baseball series. And then we have, um, we go from there to Lily White, who is my darkest dark author. Um, I don't know if you've ever read her, but if you no, like I'm dark- putting it on my list. Yes. There's <laughs> a lot, there's quite a few psychological thrillers that are dark. I mean, like if you have triggers, you best be watching yourself because she'll hit them right smack in the face. But it's freaking phenomenal. I will tell you that her writing is amazing. I'm not saying that just because she's my author, but she, her writing really is amazing. And um, she doesn't gloss over really anything. Um, but it's kind of like there's a couple of her books that you're like, what just happened here? What? <laughs> yeah, but I like that. I like when I kind of get the, oh, okay, we're going there. Okay, I'm in. Buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a wild ride. Yes. So uh, if you need some recommendations on where to start with her stuff, you just let me know. I'll, I'll happily I'll let you out. Um, There's a couple of books that she has. So one of them that starts a series you cannot get on Amazon. It was banned because um, it has non-con in the first 10%. Um, and so you can only get that on her website. It's called Her Master's Courtesan. Um and then she has a book that she never published on anywhere but her website. And that one is completely non-con. It's, it's <laughs> terrible. I mean, it's a great book, but it's, it's, it's a doozy. Well, I had, we went through this little rabbit hole of like dark non-con dub con uh, novellas. I think it was last year. And I had the famous quote that hell had more plot than heaven. And since then, everyone is always like, Becky, how, how's how's hell? And I'm like, much more plot. It's more where plot. I'm going. <laughs> yes. They yeah, all like to give me a hard time bad. for that. <laughs> that one is pretty bad. I mean, if you like murder and, and sex mixed in, you'll be hey right on point not every book but, is for everybody but there is a book for everyone so that's exactly right <laughs> yes and then we have um i have a thriller author that she doesn't write romance anymore but she has a phenomenal 
gosh. Of course, I'm going to say all of my people have phenomenal stuff, right? Under a pen name, she has um, this awesome um, legal uh, romantic suspense book. Um, mm-hmm. The girl is being the female. The books are told out of her POV, but there's a couple of chapters that switches to the guys and she's being stalked. And um, she falls for this wealthy, she's an attorney. She falls for this wealthy billionaire that's a client of her firm, but not her client. And um, anyway, like she's being stalked. And, you know, so in between trying to save her life, she's also falling in love. So <laughs> I like a good stalking though. Like I am on board for a good stalking. Um. I also like to stalk my fictional characters and some authors, uh, yeah. but not right. in a creepy, like I'm coming to your house way in a, I must know where all your books are and how I can get them right. kind of way. Yes. That one is on Amazon. And we have a lot of MC too and some mafia and we have some BDSM. We have some contemporary. Yeah. You have a we great have- client list. Like I was going through it and I had read quite a few. Um, so that was a bonus. But so you have clients. When does an author come to you? When do they say, hey, I need an agent. I need to hire and engage this person. Should this be something they do at the beginning of their career? Is this something they tend to do in the middle of their career as they're picking up momentum? When when do people get agents? Well, it depends on what kind of author career they want to have, really. Like if you want a traditional career, meaning you want um, to start at a traditional publishing house, 99.9% of the time you have to have an agent because most of the publishing houses will not take unsolicited, what they call unsolicited um, submissions, which means it hasn't been requested by them from an editor to the author directly, or it didn't come from an agent. And so you have to have an agent in order to submit to the majority of traditional publishers. Um, so if you want to go that route, then you have to find an agent to, on the onset. If you are a self-published author, you can come anytime, um, you know, to an agent and say, you know, if your sales are doing really well, now a lot of times I will say that a lot of times for the self-published author, a lot of the deals that we can do are based upon sales and um ranking which ranking is based on sales so um that's the key there if a self-published author is doing really really well they have really good releases uh you know then people are going to start finding them and um you know not a lot of times it rarely does it happen on the onset, you know, with your very first novel, there's been a handful, but rarely, you know, out of those thousands of authors that we have that now, you know, rarely does, uh, does one blow up on their debut novel. It can happen, but it rarely, uh, so, you know, when you start to move to like mid list or you start to get like contacted by publishers wanting rights to your you know either be it audio or foreign to your work then um you can con you know submit to an agent to see if they will help you walk through that process and take care of it for you or um 
or handle it yourself. But if you handle it yourself, I highly recommend you get an attorney to look at the contracts yeah. for you. And though, yes, it might cost you a penny, but it might save you way more in the long run. Um, you know, cause sometimes you might get yourself in a pickle <laughs> if you don't know what you're right, looking for. Right. Okay. So what is one thing you wish all authors knew about getting an agent? So I'll tell you, I once was in a writing class and this author, he was very anti-indie author. And he he made a statement that one, you know, like authors, you never pay to even have an agent look at your script, like look at your novel that you, sh- you shouldn't true. pay. Um, mm-hmm. And also, if you go to their website, make sure that they represent people that write similar to you. Like mm-hmm. those were his two things and he basically said you couldn't be a successful author doing it on your like being an indie author publishing yourself you had to be with a pub oh arrogant yeah well it's a lot of old school mentality a lot of traditional authors feel that way um unless they do the hybrid model which is you have some indie some trad but a lot of those that are what you would say old school you know authors feel that way there are a lot of readers that feel that way um that are old school kind of what you would I guess call them readers you know that are I only want to read people that are New York Times bestsellers I only want to read people that are in a bookstore I only want to read people that have you know sold x amount of copies I only want whoever has been reviewed by xyz you know or Oprah's book club or whatever you know those kind of things and Reese Witherspoon now her book club is huge Jenna Bush whatever her married name is now Hager 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 Um, I think it's Hager whatever yeah like you know it, it has to be reviewed by somebody you know in order for them to read it or they else they won't you know that there's always going to be those kinds of opinions and take her to leave it like I have clients for both and I don't sway either way um in that kind of argument because not traditional is not for everybody no it's not not everybody can write traditional type books so you know yeah the market would be a lot slimmer if we didn't have indie authors and everybody still had to submit their books to um publishing houses but then we wouldn't have some of these quite fabulous stories that we have on the market that we love to read. Well, you know? and as we're seeing, and that's part of what inspired this episode, is that we're seeing traditional pub coming and buying some of these indie authors. Like Ruby Dixon, I had I had done some work for her. I've worked, you know, I've read all of her books. And then here we are in 2018, 2020, and Penguin Random House is saying, hey, hey, can we distro your paperbacks for you? we hear these blue aliens are phenomenal. And um, so, you know, I think the rules are changing a little bit. I also think personally we're seeing, I call it the trad pub sheen. So I like my book spicier. And as someone who read in the eighties and the nineties, mass market paperback historical romances, those are pretty spicy mm-hmm. compared to what is being put yeah. out mm-hmm. currently. And so I think that there's a division in the market a little bit. I think we get a more fuller, complex, sexually forward story in the indie market or even in the hybrid market versus mm-hmm. full on traditional. I think those sometimes they're edited to be like tepid bath water, <laughs> in yes. my opinion. 
They are. They are. Um, but those books are for people. They're just not for my people. Right. And it, it, I had a an author duo. They co-write together under one pen name. One name joined. It's two authors writing as one. And their, their first like six books, they self-published. And then they got picked up by, um, I can't remember who their first publisher was, but then they got picked up by Penguin Random House after that. And then they got now they're published by waterhouse well anyway their their indie books are way spicier and i was like what in the world this was way before i became an agent and i was like why would you water down your so i mean like like your books are way spicier if you're indie books and they're like we really like doing it this way because then we don't have to think of new material and i'm like really but for all it's um liberalism you know if you follow editors or you know anybody in the publishing world um, i'm not anybody because that's just really generalizing but um there are a lot if you watch some of the big names in publishing they're very you know like liberal-minded people but publishing is very conservative yeah on the on like when they put out books it's very like in the romance genre anyway they pull out a lot of those sex scenes so a lot of that is just tamed down it's watered or fade to black or whatever i yeah. watered down so to speak and i guess that's because the united states when it's you know the original publishing country here in the u.s you know we have such societal taboos about sex and talking about sex and not wanting to you know like read about all that kind of stuff well, but so don't you think there was a shift too because we had the boom of 50 shades of gray so then after 50 shades of gray we got sparrow beckett we got linda eicher we had these really you know lexi blake shayla black were publishing in the trad pub um line yes. and then i think as the dawning of the me too and we saw this kind of conservative movement you know in the country of as a whole that we kind of started to pull back on sexuality. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, we also started to see publishing put out queer books and more authors of color. There still is some big holes that we're not filling. Um, but yeah, I mean, I look at it as publishing itself. The head money guys are still white men. Yes. <laughs> well, and with old. the exception of a couple of them. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, I guess if you look at the board of directors, but you know, like Madeline McIntosh, Right, that's her first name. Um, she just stepped down as the CEO of Penguin Random House. I mean, yeah. She's the white woman, but she just stepped down. So we still don't know who's taking her place, but I don't know who the chairman of the board is of that company. Well, um, and they just named an intern gentleman. He came over from UK publishing division of Penguin Random House to run the US division. Yeah, until they hire somebody or figure out what they're going to do with that yeah. house. Um, but he's not white. No, he isn't. Mm -mm. but um, he's from money because if you look at his uk lineage <laughs> well yes um but then i think there's you know uh source books is owned female owned um except okay so there's a misnomer on source books they are 49 percent owned by penguin random house yes now that just happened in the last few years but originally yes well, she owned the, she still owns the majority yeah, it just it's interesting because, you know, people have this conversation and they're like, no, Sourcebooks is this great space and they are a great space. They are putting more indie market books to mm -hmm. 
into trad pub, but they still are ruled by some of the trad pub rules because they have, you know, the ownership that is. Right. And there's, um, let me see. I don't know. There's publishing has changed so much in the last, well, seven years, going on seven years that I've owned this company. It has really, um, they've taken a huge, you know, huge strides to diversify who's running which imprint, um, bringing on new imprints, opening new publishing houses. You know, there's Black Odyssey that is owned by a Black woman. And um, that publishing house is going to be making some big splashes next year. Well, or so. and you have Entangled that is now moving over into. Um fantasy with their four ta- uh, red tower red tower mm-hmm. red tower grouping um and, and i think female that's female owned and mm-hmm. um it's interesting it the whole thing is interesting i think that it i find it interesting yes um, this side of publishing is definitely you know it's just it, it's you watch the players you kind of see what's going on who's where who's doing what what's happening here there in the other place i mean even especially as an agent because you have to know where to send your people and what book is supposed to be right for which editor excuse me which which house is going to do best by them all that kind of stuff so it's different so my job is watching you know a lot of that kind of stuff what's happening what's I love the daily publishers weekly emails and like to see who's moving and who because it's like its own little gossip epicenter. Yes, <laughs> I love it. That's exactly right. That's yeah. You want to know the what's going on in the publishing world? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love where it. Where it's at? I love it. I told my husband. I said I I bought the subscription to be able to see the deals. Part of that is I want to see what books we should be anticipating for the future. But also, I'm freaking nosy. I am nosy as heck. <laughs> I want to know what's going on. Yes, it's um, it's it's kind of funny because there are just some days where I just sit here and I'm just like sh- at my desk and I shake my head because I'm just kind of like really um, you know, like no, I have this. You know, it's so interesting because I'm not an agent, but I work within publishing, and I shake my head and be like, "What? What are you doing? Oh, right? what, why?" Um, <clears throat> okay, so. On, on the website, guys, in our show notes, I will list like the different things like queries, advances, and royalties, how publishing works for indie. Because I want to get to some of these other questions that were asked. Yes. Sorry. Um, we could talk about this for days. No. And I probably will be like, hey, Stephanie, you want to come back and hang out? I got more questions. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, you are feeding my soul right <laughs> now. Um. Because I try to have these conversations with my husband. I don't know how it is for you. I try to have these conversations, like things that I read that are happening in publishing. Or I was on a webinar and had a conference call and I heard some things and I wanted to, I had to tell somebody, but I'm not allowed to tell anybody. Uh-huh. So I try to have these conversations with my husband, who is super smart. He is the head of like an IT system administrator, director guy at a university, like super smart. He does not care. He doesn't care. Exactly. He doesn't care. My husband's like, what? Yeah. What? What are you talking about? Okay. I was like, it was a seven-figure deal for two books that have been out for like five years. And he's like, great. I'm like, right. Well, that's how I felt. Okay, gossip time. That's how I felt when Sylvia Day got that seven-figure deal for a novella. Yeah. I'm like, a novella? It's like 20,000 words. Was she getting seven figures for a novella? I think it was a little bit more than 
than that when it finally came out. But yeah, like seven. I mean, yes, I know she'll bring it in. It's her name, but seven figures. Yeah. No. Nope. Can I find Sylvia Day? You know. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um. Yeah. That sounds I... terrible. Really. That. I mean. <laughs> But no, no, but you see the bonkers because it wasn't announced that Mariana Zapata, she sold two books, two books that have been out since 2019 and 2020. And they are long ass books. I think there are 140,000 words in each of those books. And um, she got seven figures for two books that have been sitting in Kindle Unlimited that, you know, you know, are always constantly recommended and constantly high up on um the amazon list when they were in kindle and stuff like that and it's like who are you selling these books to because if people wanted to read them they read them already right so why are we doing seven figures on this so i want to dissect that with somebody but half the time my husband is like oh great well that's the you know what we talked about this before the show and that 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 there's like two different types of readers right so there's those of us that read electronically and then there's those that read in print yeah and that deal is a print deal so her stuff is going to be published in bookstores versus i think it's a full right deal because they took them out of kindle unlimited right the ebooks too yeah which you know it's totally fine but a traditional publisher is not pub they don't care about ebooks right you never have they will put them out there because that's what the market is these you know for some but their big thing is is print sales and um yeah i was just on a webinar with one of my publishers that i worked for a couple weeks ago and they were talking about the phasing away of mass market and going to trade size because they want the display space in target and that that's going to create a quandary so i mostly work in category romance and so that creates a quandary for category and we have seen some category like penguin random house had love swept Mm -hmm. as an e-book only category and it defunct and they got rid of it and although they're still selling it's not like they weren't making money they had to have been making money because they had freaking phenomenal author list well and they still won't because so we uh sawyer bennett and kelly jameson are both friends of the podcast and we ask both of them all the time when can we get those in paperback and they're like you guys keep buying them you keep recommending them they will will not sell us our rights back so stop buying them but please keep buying them (laughs) right it's a catch-22 yes there's a couple of my authors that i have that are love swept people and they're just now trying to get some of their rights back from books that are still lingering there because they have a minimum that they have to make less than in a certain amount of time before they can get their rights back yeah and if they make one dollar more than that the publishing house can say nope sorry you made too much money i'm not gonna give you your rights back this you know so then you have to create another cycle or two because sometimes it takes six months not just three in order for them to see whether or not they want to give you your money you know, your books back so it's really you know i mean they're making money off of it too so it's not like it's right. nobody's losing really anything except for the author it's like well i can't really do anything with these suckers and you're not promoting them so can I, why can't I have my friends back right you know? right no it, it's so interesting because a lot of us 
in the our ebook readers. You know, in 2010, I got my first ebook reader because I had littles and I used to have stacks of books everywhere. And my husband was like, I'm buying you an e-reader because we need to move on from books everywhere. And because, you know, then we had toys everywhere in 2010. And I was like, okay. So I went to e-reader and now I am 99.9% exclusive in Mm e-reader. The only time I read a paperback is if if a galley is sent to me and I don't have a choice. Right. You don't have a choice. You got to read the thing. Yes. That's the only time. Okay, so some of the questions that have come up, and we've kind of hinted at a little bit, but I'm going to go through my list and we'll get through them. Um, So when would an author sell their audio rights? So this is an interesting thing, especially when there are these boutique audio production companies that you hire to do all the production, but you then own the rights, still own the audio rights. But we are seeing that there are authors that are selling their audio rights to Podium, to Tantor, to Audible. Why would an author, what's the benefit of making that kind of choice? Money. Money. It costs about, depending on the narrator, anywhere from, say, 250 to... 450 per finished hour for narration and that does not include engineering or mastering or proof proofing or any of that stuff that's just the narrator fee so depending on how long your book is i have an author who's one one of her novels is 20 hours long Okay. Even at $250 an hour, who could afford that? Right. No. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, because a lot of indie authors are, you know, well, there's now there's more than there was before that are using their author income as their income income. But it used to be just their secondary income and they would, you know, use whatever. But so if it's their primary income, they can't afford to pay 20 hours at times $250, you know, plus extra money to master and proof and edit and all that kind of stuff. So it behooves them to license their work to an audiobook company who can fork that money out at the onset and then let them, because they can negotiate price better, they have studio booths in which the narrators can come in if they're local to them to record so the narrator doesn't have to um rent booth time if they don't have a soundproof room in their home um you know there's all there's all kinds of stuff that goes into production that's a whole other podcast yeah we we (laughs) just did one well we had katie from lyric audio on a couple weeks ago and she talked about just like where to listen getting into audiobooks and then Last summer, we had a couple narrators and Katie from Lyric Audiobooks came back on and we talked about, because that was the whole, there was rumblings with some TikTokers that were thinking they were going to be um, groundbreaking and start an audio company and yes, that we all sat here and went, huh? 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 Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So really the choice to sell just comes down to feasibility of finances. Yes. And a lot of my authors don't want to hear their words recorded that they don't, they're like, that's 
creepy. It skeeves me out. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> you so know, funny. like I don't want somebody to read my book to me. I just, I don't know. Just take, take it. You listen to it. If it sounds okay, then you approve it. But I don't want to have anything to do with that. And so that's a whole other, another reason, because then somebody else is listening to it and yeah. making sure that it sounds okay. Um, but yes, and that's something else that they don't have to handle, you know, because when you're an indie author, you're doing every single thing yourself. Right, right. And so realistically, licensing your audio is one less thing you have to worry about. Yeah. Oh, I see the benefits in it. Um, okay, so another question that has come up, when an author needs to sell international rights, and this is something I don't personally understand. So we have an indie author, they're in Kindle Unlimited, there is the ability for Amazon distribution of paperbacks. So if I'm a Kindle Unlimited author in the US, why would I sell UK rights for paperbacks of my books? Or Brazil, I see a ton of deals that are selling like, some of them are um, where they're going to put it into the local language, like into Portuguese or whatever like that. But a lot of times it's just paperback distribution, not necessarily, um, you know, changing it into a different language. So why does that need to happen? What is the reasoning for that to happen? Well, it doesn't necessarily need to happen, but it's kind of cool. Because uh, UK is considered a foreign language because they spell things differently. And they, you know, some of the th words that they use are different than what we, we say a stroller, they say a pram. The heck is a pram? I don't know. But it's a stroller, you know? So, yeah. okay. There are the little things like that that would have to be changed, you know, maybe to make references, but it's considered to be a foreign right. So it's different because... It's a different country, not necessarily a different language, but some things can change so that the people in that country understand that kind of term, right? Even though they probably read the American version, it's just like, uh, say, well, I mean, even like Fifty Shades of Grey or like this man, you know, Jodie Ellen Malpas is British and her right. books are written in British English. Her foreign, right, is American publishing it. You know, so she has a, she has a house in England and then she has a house here. Um, just like my favorite paranormal writer has a house here and she has a house in England. But so, you know, so the rights are sold because they're similar, but slightly different. So it really so comes down can, to translation. Yes. Yeah. Be and they can put it in paperbacks in their stores. It's good because it's a different language, different copyright different owner of copy you know same owner of copyright but different distribution so it's not going to mess up the kindle unlimited program okay. and it's can be in stores like waterstone or wherever because the the publishing house can put it there whereas here yes it's run it, they can put it through um ingram spark or they can do it through amazon um not all the time as an indie author you're not guaranteed you're going to be picked up to be put in a bookstore yeah. uh, especially if you there you're not most likely 99% unlikely to get in a bookstore <laughs> if you publish your book through Amazon um, yeah, print wise yeah. if you do it through Ingram there is a higher percentage of being able to get into a bookstore because that's where they buy well, their but that also comes down to like if you take back um 
returns. One of my clients, um, it hasn't been announced in the deals because there hasn't been more than three people to announce this yet, but it is public knowledge. One of my clients just signed a paperback distribution deal with a new, so Meredith Wilde, who owns Waterhouse. um, She has a new imprint called Page and Vine. And my author just signed her print distribution rights over to Page and Vine um, for two of her books, two novels, and then they will publish a novella this fall. And um, she was on the bestsellers list in Ingram. She has books in bookstores, but her eBooks are in Kindle Unlimited. And she maintains those eBook rights. But Meredith bought the, um, or acquired the, Paperback. Well, and she's done that a lot with Waterstone Press too, bought um or Waterhouse, yes. or Waterhouse or whatever. Um does and you might not know this and so my husband's family is Australian and they were telling me how expensive paperbacks are into Australia. Like a paperback can sometimes be 50 US dollars. Yeah. Um it's super expensive, especially if there isn't if it's not one that has Australian rights, that it comes down right. to taxes and printing. So that's, I guess, another reason then that an author would choose to sell those, like, Commonwealth rights um, yes. to lower the price accessibility for their readers. Right. And it's, I mean, also, too, they're also is that language deal, too, because it's Commonwealth English instead of American. And so that, but yes, most definitely. It's... Oh, I'm convinced the Australian family does not speak English. <laughs> I can't understand them. Well, the women, I can totally understand all the women. The guys? No idea. No clue. They start saying the slang, and I'm like, Would you speak English? (laughs) Husband, come talk to cousins, because I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. I need a translator, please. Yes, well, and then, and I think another part of your question, or at least um, before when we were emailing about foreign rights, kind of the segue into that, if you want to segue there. Um, so I, that's a lot of what I do um, for a lot of my indie authors is to sell the foreign rights of their books because, you know, the readers are everywhere. And now right. that they're not like, you might not have known Oh, but you probably do because you work for publishing houses. But the general reader may not have known that publishing houses have been selling foreign rights for ages, you know, to other countries of the novels that they publish. So especially if they're bestsellers, they haven't published everywhere. I mean, just like every dang day, Colleen Hoover is getting a new translation deal for like umpteen million books, you know, like, and I mean, good for her. You know, she's going to probably be in every country that's on this planet well (laughs) so this is something i thought was interesting because and it kind of is along this lines i noticed that entangled recently sold the paperback rights to one of rebecca yaros's books over to an english to a british publishing house so smaller presses wouldn't have the international distribution either they would need to likely sell over to um into like commonwealth and stuff like that too right yes that is correct and entangled i have a a few authors that are published by them as well and then they have they work with a literary agency in order to do those kind of things for um their authors there i do the foreign rights for my own clients but um and it it could very well be that rebecca's um agent 
might have maintained those too so she could have gotten that on their behalf for rebecca um i I don't know what her specific deal looks like or yeah whatever that says but yeah i mean it's um well i know for a while too everybody was having problems getting print time and run times because there's only so many presses in the u.s and there was a paper shortage and uh distribution line disruptions and stuff like that mm-hmm. so i know Weird that space. yeah mm-hmm. so i know that there are some smaller presses that have had to some of their more popular books they can't keep up with demand of print and that's delayed like we've seen you know several source book clients that their dates got pushed way back and mm-hmm. they still are kind of um not sure when their next book is coming out because release dates have gotten pushed back because of getting press space right and then that's happened with entangled as well like avery flynn um had a couple of hers writes i don't know if you i'm sure if you like rom-coms you've probably heard of avery she's a friend of ours yeah (laughs) she's had a couple of dates pushed back with yeah you know that she published through entangled because there just was not space you know or paper or you know they were one i think one of them she might have had to have made changes i have no idea but regardless there was you know sometimes there's just that it happens the pushback of dates but definitely with this whole paper shortage and the warehouse and employees and you know since the pandemic everything's been the cluster so you know it's just (laughs) yeah you you just have to try your best and push I had several foreign houses that pushed back publishing dates because yeah. well especially like in Italy because Italy oh my gosh they had to push back a bunch and a, I mean a lot because their stores their their country was closed for the longest time and yeah. then their stores were closed even longer and in Europe they rely a lot heavily on print because that's what they mostly read in Europe is print they don't have it moved to the digital version and much less they don't audio is like not a thing i mean they have it but it's not not a thing you know (laughs) don't go for audio over there yet and um so you know i mean they have they have short commutes relatively like they don't commute like we do here in the u.s so right not long ones i mean there are some people that have to travel into the city uh like i have a one of my agents lives out like 40 minutes outside of london but she doesn't go to the city that often but if she did she'd take a train she could listen to an audiobook, I guess. Yeah. But like if you had her e-reader or but a paperback, you're still going to be reading, taking your book. But anyway, whatever. They read a lot of print over there. And so they've had to push back a lot of dates as well because the pandemic. And they're still trying to catch up three years later. Yeah. I yeah, we're all gonna be catching up for a while. Yeah. So one of the things that really prompted this was the recent indie author market. Mostly Kindle and limited authors have been getting these big distro deals with trade pub companies, um, many or traditional pub companies. Many of our listeners are confused as to what this means for these books from these authors. And I will say some of the authors have not done a great job speaking to their reader base as to what's happening with their books because it's again it's part of that gray area that we all experience and those of us that work in publishing we're used to it we're kind of used to the whisper around but not no but no um and i think that we're seeing a lot from our reader from our listeners 
that they are very confused. They're, they try to ask, but authors aren't necessarily force, forthcoming with the information. And some of it could be that the author isn't quite sure yet, um, too. So how does a reader know if these books will leave KU once an author has sold rights? What's an easy, do you, can you think of an easy way that it, a reader would be, have access to go and say, other than, because we have blatantly asked some of our, some of the authors, I mean, like, hey, is your book leaving KU? And they're like, I just sold paperback rights, but they never actually answer, no, my book's going to stay in KU. Okay. Well, if they say they just sold paperback rights, then that means they retained their ebook rights, just like my author that I was talking about earlier um, that sold her. So that particular author is Macaulay Smeltzer and her wildfire, wildflower duet um, will remain in Kindle Unlimited. And then the paperback version will be distributed through Page and Vine, which is um, uh has a print distribution deal through Simon and Schulster. So it'll be just the print will be distributed wide and Macaulay re maintains the ebook rights. Um, so if they just, if they say they only sold paperback rights, then the author maintains the ebook and can put them wherever they want to. So if they've been solely a KU author, I would say it's pretty safe to say it's going to stay there. If they are one of those authors that fluctuate between moving back and forth, then it's still going to be back and forth because that's just what yeah. their plan is for the ebook. But the um, the print will be more widely available because they're they're um, you know sold it as a print distribution deal, and what that means is that they the publishing house is going to push it out to box what we call box stores well not um, just box stores but indie bookstores that's something people right. don't really think about indie bookstores are not necessarily a friend of the indie author there's a lot of risk yeah. and there's a lot of expense to take on an indie author and shelve them in your small bookstore mm -hmm. because people don't know about them so they're not coming in looking for them and so right. and you don't have a big house to say this is great. You should read this book. You know, this needs to be on your shelf. We'll, you need to put this here, or, there, or everywhere. Or pricing and deals. Then... Pricing deals. Here, look, we're going to send you 25 copies at this price. And so they're going to make a bigger um, profit margin. So by an author selling those rights, they do kind of now have this ability to go into your local bookstore. Sorry, my son just came down. It's okay. It's fine. Um, <laughs> He shares my office with me. Anyway, um, yeah, it, it makes a huge difference for the author because it gives them, uh, like I was telling Becky before the show started, there are some readers, and I know this for a fact because my mother is married to one of them. There are some readers that will only buy books out of a bookstore because they think that's the only legitimate author that there is, okay? There are some, again, my mother is married to one that will only read authors that have made New York Times bestsellers list because that's the quote only legitimate author there is. Okay, whatever, dude. Anyway, you know, I'm just like, okay, what, yeah. what, where did you come up with that? Because that is so untrue, but okay, whatever. I, I mean, I, I spent, I don't know how much that's a whole other conversation, a whole other episode, <laughs> but I spent a whole conversation with him about, 
why it, he should expand his horizons it's outside interesting the bestsellers list. Because I think that there are some traditional authors like Brandon Sanderson that is like kind of shaking up the market a little bit. Even Colleen Hoover herself, yeah. she is shaking the market because she was the KU indie author and slowly built a fan base and boom, now she's everywhere. Um, okay, so next question. Are these types of deals, so big pub shopping the indie author KU author to find their next lines of sales. So do you think this is maybe going to become the trend to querying versus, you know, traditionally we would have queried the, the manuscript publishing would have come back and said, yes, here, here's an advance, write, finish writing the book, make these changes. We're publishing. Now it seems that, some of the trad pub is saying, hey, these books are already written and edited. We're going to shop in Kindle Unlimited. And there's there's really not a lot of risk for them because they know they're getting an author with a fan base already. That is true. And um, I, so we had talked about before the show about how um, like readers these days. So before Kindle Unlimited was a thing the day um you know most of the stuff everybody could buy everywhere you know on all platforms ebook um of course print was limited to buying on amazon just like it is now mostly um for indie authors and then um traditional was still limited you know like stores and all that kind of stuff and then they came up with the ku program um but before ku was a thing We've been, publishing has been through this already, and it's funny how we've gone, came back to this wave. So in about 2013, 2012, 2013, there was a wave of indie authors that hit lists left and right. Became New York Times, USA Today bestsellers, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, hit, uh, you know, Wall Street Journal. They hit all the lists because they were selling crap tons of books. And so Trad Pub was scrounging to pick up these authors because they were like oh my gosh they're making all this money they've sold all these great books we need to have them in our house about 90 plus percent of those authors have their rights back now for yeah. those books because it just didn't work out the way and they, they didn't start out as trad authors they were indie authors and then had such great success in a short amount of time and they were excited that a house came to pick them up i think now it's sort of the same thing there's authors having great success in ku they're seeing that they have this fan base they have readers that want them and they want to try their hat at seeing what they're going to do in the market but the difference is now i think the majority of the people that they're picking up have been around a while and aren't going to fall for that this is the traditional deal kind of you know like I'm still going to have to market and maintain my reader base and still publish books where the, while the traditional house takes care of these books over here, I'm going to continue to yeah stay in my lane and keep moving on because that's the only way that they're going to maintain that reader base. Cause if they just leave it out up to the publishing house, they're not going to know where to find their reader base. Right. That's what happened. I think in 2013, cause they didn't understand they needed to keep on that indie focus track instead of moving to the the trad track which is totally different <laughs> it's very different um so if an author has a large established reader base and is already very successful 
So I'll just use her as an example, Lucy Score per se. She has a small indie label that she has several authors that are part of. And she employs 10 people full-time, like livable full-time wages, highly successful. You know, she just built a big, like, million-dollar home outside Philadelphia. Um, Highly, highly successful. If someone is that established, what is the value for someone like that to sell, like, their paperback distribution? Because she did. She has almost sold her entire back list of paperback distribution. Why? Like you, is it just so it's one thing off your plate? No, I don't think so. I think for the most part, the majority of authors are like you and me, Becky, and we're readers first and foremost when it comes to like books. And um, you, y'all that are listening to this can't see this, but behind Becky are bookshelves of books in her room i mean like yeah four bookshelves at least four bookshelves that i can see of books this is and not we, even a fraction collect books like i have a whole library i was on a conference call earlier today and i i mentioned that my husband built me a library in my office and they're like no way so i took my laptop and walked over to my office and showed my library that i read only on my kindle but i have a freaking library we call them our trophies there are book book trophies i mean how many people go to barnes and noble just to go and look around yeah i mean every author i mean like i don't know any of them that wouldn't trip over themselves to see their name their words their book in a bookstore and as we've mentioned before and it's as in the author it's very, very, very difficult to get a wide distribution on an indie book anywhere in the U.S. because it's just they just they don't know that they have that backing. Like, how does an how does a bookstore know that this little author they've never heard of really has a reader base to maintain shelf space in their store? Yeah, and if it's coming from a big house like Shabana Schuster, um, Penguin Random House, Macmillan, Hachette source you know like all these companies they're going to know that they have this backing that it's really meant to be something because they've proven themselves right so that's the the difference between the marketing or that part of the marketing side of the business and you know the indie author doesn't have as much money to throw at because a lot of these spaces too in some of the bookstores cost extra money right you want right. to get the end cap on a particular table or an end cap or somewhere special in a barnes and noble then you had to pay extra for that well and any author's not going to have the or the barnes and noble edition with a special paperback or extra swag in it or the target edition with a different cover and so, I mean, yes, there Red are lined pages or gold pages yeah. or whatever that kind of stuff is. And that can only be done by a publisher because they have unlimited amount of money that they can. I mean, not unlimited, but you know what I'm saying? Like they have a way bigger budget that they can do that with. And with an author they know is going to be like Lucy that will sell like hotcakes. They will can afford to put her in stuff so they can it behooves her. You know, to put it in there because once she mentioned she gets floor space, 
you know, table space, whatever. Yeah. But she also finds new to her readers because there are still people out there, like my mother's husband, that will only read it if it comes <laughs> from a bookstore. No, you know? I get it. Yeah. That, so it, it it's it's not like they're selling themselves short because they're not. They're just expanding their reader base to others that they might not be able to reach because and they all can't see me but I'm holding up my Kindle like they don't do the ebook they like that paper in their hand and they you know they go to the actual physical bookstore to pick it up well and there is it's so funny because I'm a little older and I see all of these younger readers now like hating on Amazon which is fine they're not perfect I mean capitalism yay um and they're like but Barnes and Noble is the savior I am a child. I was a young adult in the 90s. And for us, Barnes and Noble was the villain because they were coming into our towns and putting our small mom and pop bookstores out of business. Mm -hmm. So it's so funny to me because, you know, but there is it's new reader bases, you know, Barnes and Noble because it's not on Amazon, even though she is an Amazon author. Now she can also be a Barnes and have books in Barnes and Noble. So yeah, books a million indie bookstores. I mean, it's not just limited to that, but yes, I mean, I just say books, Barnes and Noble, cause I was just in, well, I should probably say books a million cause I was just in books a million the other day and she had several books, source books, had lots of their bloom imprint books yeah. on a particular shelf in the store. And I was looking at the shelf and I was like, I wonder how much that costs. Nope. That's terrible. But really on this side of the business, you know those kind of things. So you're looking at it and you're like, dang, how much did they pay for that positioning? Because it's like right inside the front door. You had to pass by it to get to all the other books. And I'm like, dang, blame. Right? Nope. <laughs> I have the same thoughts. I have same thoughts. Okay. So we're going to move on to the next half of our, our little bit of things, uh, b- buzzing about romance business. Um, okay. So it's that time, everyone, for our book of the week okay stephanie yay i mean we leah's usually with me and she does jazz hands and we have a fake echo because my production guy he won't get us an echo it's like week seven thousand asking for an echo no echo it's fine um so i'll tell you my book of the week while you figure out yours so my book of the week is i recently did a reread of major misconduct by kelly jameson um we're gonna do a series review of her Chicago Aces and this is one of the original series that I read that made me fall in love with hockey romance um Kelly and Sawyer Bennett are like my go-to must read hockey authors so and that book was published in 2015 totally still holds up like so good it's teammate's best friend um our teammate's little sister it's so good anyway so Stephanie what's your book of the week it's kind of funny that you say that because one of my authors was published at the same time at Hockey Book. You have to tell me. Well, you can tell me who it is and then I can. Yeah. Well, so I have two that write hockey. Um, the one that I was talking about is uh, R.C. Stevens. I have not read them. And she has two two hockey series. The first one, the first book is published by Entangled. Entangled it's called Big Stick. And then oh, it, there's I think I've read more that. Books. Because <laughs> I've and read most everything Entangled has published. There you go. That I have a good out. relationship with Liz and Avery. And <laughs> oh yes, so that I think came out in 2018. I want to say 17 okay. or 18. 
And then um, she has a new one, a new series called, it's the Westfall U series. It's all hockey. Um, and then I have another author, Stacey Lynn, that has. We love Stacey Lynn. <laughs> she's got her new Vegas series that is really good. And now I think she's going back to write football. She is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We she's featured like, they her. They might hate me. I was like, Stacey. You have proven that you can write football. Okay. Like everybody still requests that series. Everybody loves those guys in your football series. It's not, they're not, they don't. She can do it. She has one of the best secret baby romances. Well, it's baby on the doorstep in her hockey series. That's her Carolina hockey series. That's so good. Um, Yes. Because he's. Anyway. I hate that I can't re- review them anymore. I'm like, I love to, ha- I love you as a client, but I hate that I can't review your works anymore. <laughs> That's fair. Um, and so for what's... those of you that ask why, is a conflict of interest. It's against FTC rule, rule guidelines and and rules that the um, Federal Trade Commission. I can't because I make money from her books, the sale of her books as a, her agent. Then I can't review her stuff it's conflict of interest yeah it is it that's and so like for me as a copy editor there are certain books i'm not allowed to talk about because yeah i can't vested interest (laughs) in that book i can't um okay so what book have you read recently that you think other people should give a give a try to yeah that was hard because i read i have read so many books lately um and i was looking through my kindle and i was like oh this series is a good one so lately i've been in this huge um rh like kick and if you don't know what rh is it's reverse harem where you have one female and multiple men more than two is three or more and um so there's an author it's relatively new her name is um I'm probably going to butcher her name, but her name is Kreia Rayton, C-R-E-A-R-E-I-T-A-N. And she has a new series. It's called The Harem Project. And it's it's a really neat series. Like there's something going on in the girl's life. So far, it's all been girls matched with, and The Harem Project is a group of either all guys, all girls, or a mixture of guys and girls, and they're looking for another person to add to their harem. And um, so it, the whole series is each, and it's different family. So you like the first one is called um, the House of of Demon. So you have, I mean, obviously. and then the next one is the house of avis and those uh, they have angels and then the next one is the house of wind and they are fey and then fun so there's that paranormal piece to it yes yes but they don't but all the so far the girls have all been human okay and there are some extra there are some human in the thing but um yeah. And then there's a suspense a little bit to it too, because there's an entity or two entities that are trying to kill off the unnatural quote unquote uh, people. And so, you know, you have that kind of like scary, fa- not really scary, but you know, that factor of suspense, there's these bad guys coming after my mates, you know, and these are my people. And, but, and you know, it's not bad. There, It's not I don't think anybody's going to be triggered by anything in any in here um, in any of her stories. But yeah, so I've been um, and I can actually review all of these books on my blog. So. 
<laughs> but I have bought like her other book. You know, it's like I I like the way she writes, and um, I think all of her books are reverse harem. I don't know if she is a if this is like her or if this is a pen name of somebody else that has written, you know, or is writing something else. Cause you know, there's several of those out there too. We have this conversation all the time. Like this book for a debut is too good to, this has right. got to be Just an author from something new. else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Have- but she does a good job. I mean, there are some things in there that you, you know, like, but there's something in everybody's book. Yeah. But yeah, she, I really like this series. And um, yeah, every time her PR people email about a new, re- you know, upcoming release, I'm like, sign me up. Sign me up, I'm in. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to give us some updates. So Patreon update. We appreciate our Patreon supporters and would not be able to bring you the podcast without them. We currently have four open tiers. Hold on one second. Um, We currently have four open tiers, and those start as low as $5 a month and include membership to Drunk Book Club and other exclusive content. We reached our first goal of 40 Patreon members, and our next goal is 75. Uh, Once we reach 75, we are going to plan our first in-person readers retreat that will be exclusive for our listening community. Um, We're able to bring you three episodes a week due to our amazing Patreon community, and we have other perks like Coffee of the Month Club, exclusive episodes, and Drunk Book Club. Our big goal is to reach 500 Patreon members so I can quit my day job. <laughs> we yeah, have Drunk that Book Club. Nice. Right? We have Drunk Book Club coming in March. Uh, it is happening on March 11th at 9 p.m. And we are reading Adrift by Swati MH. And Swati will be joining us for the evening. Um, you can find a list of all of our upcoming dates, including book clubs, happy hours, plot a book, and reading challenges at bookcaseandcoffee.com slash events. And then one small programming note for quick shot listeners, Leah and I are reading the Perfect Gentleman series by Shayla Black and Lexi Blake. The first episode dropped on February the 14th. This is a five book series with an overarching plot and they are romantic suspense. We will be spoiling them, but you can read along with us check out the website for the full drop date schedule i love those ladies oh my gosh have you read this series the perfect gentleman it's the it's the six prep school friends that um one dies in book one and they all have these different like kind of high value careers one is the president of the united states one is his chief of staff there's like a naval officer a cia agent and then the owner of an aeronautics company. Mm-hmm. And I've read them separately. I just haven't read them together. But I love both of them. I've met them. Yeah. I love them both. You know, like Shayla. I mean, I've read more of her stuff than I have of Lexi's. But yeah, yeah I'm obsessed with her Minaj, both of their Minaj series and even um, the Masters and Mercenary from Lexi. But also yeah. Butterfly Bayou. I think I just I love them both. And I part of our goal in 2023 as a podcast is to read more backlist Mm. you know we've spent the last three years of the podcast kind of chasing the new releases and the new sought after and i'm finding that some of our listeners are newer to romance they only picked us up and or picked romance up in 2020 and so there's all these great books (laughs) that were written before 2020 that we don't talk about as much and so 
Um, Because we've already read them. But that's a key thing is to bring them back to life. You know, they're backlist as always. Right. Like if you really loved Sarah Kate's Praise, which is a current hot sex club romance series, then you should read um, Stacey Kennedy's Club Sin or uh, Sawyer Bennett's Wicked Horse. We've read them as longtime readers, but they might not be on newer authors or newer readers radars. So that's kind of our goal in 2023 is backlists. That's what we're doing. (laughs) Yes. Makes sense to me. Anyway, Stephanie, (laughs) thank you so much for giving us your time and coming on and answering all of our rights and publishing questions that we that our community has had we really appreciate it yes absolutely thanks for having me this was a lot of fun um until next time everyone happy reading find us on instagram at buzzing about romance or on twitter at buzzing romance if you like the podcast please leave a review if you'd like to support us directly join the bookcase and coffee patreon and receive exclusive content only available to patreon members check out bookcaseandcoffee.com for our on-the-shelf show notes